Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Today is actually our Heart for the Kingdom weekend. And so I'm going to be talking about sowing into the kingdom of God. And I've just entitled this Living to Give. Uh, Jesus did not accomplish everything so that we could do nothing. Think about that. So often that's our attitude. Well, Jesus did it all. And it's true. He did everything that's necessary to pay for your salvation. However, notice what the apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 1.24. Now I rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affliction of Christ. Now, Paul says there's something lacking, but yet the Bible says there's nothing lacking as far as Jesus paying for our redemption. But what is lacking is the price that needs to be paid to announce what Jesus has done or to bring the gospel to others. And Paul, he's suffering. He's literally spending his life in order that the gospel, what Jesus has done, would be known. And the same thing is true with you and with me. Jesus has paid it all, but yet there is something that's lacking, something that every one of us are supposed to do. Now, Jesus told us in Matthew 6, 33, he said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things, uh, the, the, the things that the world is after, the thing that brings fulfillment into your life and brings peace into your life and purpose into your life. He said, all those things will be added unto you. Now, the problem is that so many of us live very small, self-absorbed lives. Our life is just about us. It's kind of like, Lord, bless me, my wife, our son, his wife, us four, no more, Acts 2, 4. You know, it's just like, like God bless me, and, and that's it. And we are not kingdom-minded. But Jesus said, make it the kingdom first. We are so often focused on the temporal, on things that are we can see, that taste, smell, touch, but things that literally pass away. Where Jesus tells us we need to be focused on the eternal. We need to be focused on the kingdom of God. Uh, your Bible is divided into two portions. There's what's referred to as the Old Covenant or Old Testament, New Testament, New Covenant. In the Old Testament, there is a portion, there's a, there, there is a book called the book of Jonah. Now, you've probably heard about this, this guy, Jonah. He was a, a Jew. He was a prophet of God. And he was very, very nationalistic. In fact, God told him, go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites. Now, the Ninevites were the enemies of the Israelites. And Jonah hated them. And he wanted every one of them to fry in hell. He wanted every one of them to have God's judgment fall on them. And so when God said, go and preach and tell them, repent, or in 40 days, your nation's going to be destroyed. He literally runs the other direction. Now, he did that because he knew God was such a merciful God. And he thought, I don't want God to have mercy on these rotten people. So... He takes off. He gets in a ship. He's going in the opposite direction. And you probably know the story. A storm comes. And eventually they figure it out. The storm is here because of Noah. They, Noah, excuse me, Jonah. They throw him overboard. And the Bible says God had prepared a huge fish. And that fish swallows him up. 
Well, inside the fish, he finally, he finally starts to pray. How many know it's pretty bad when you've got to wait till you're inside a fish to be praying? <laughs> you've heard the saying, there's nothing left to do but pray. Kind of like that's the last thing, you know, when it should be the first thing. Well, Jonah is like the, the real example of this. All right. So, so he finally prays and uh, the fish goes close to land and spits him up. And God tells him, go to Nineveh. And he has said, I'll go. So he goes and he's preaching in Nineveh. And after the 40 days uh, or his preaching, he's waiting for God to destroy the city. And it says this in Jonah in the, the, the book in the last chapter. And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went outside the city and sat on the east side of the city. And there he made for himself a shelter and he sat in its shade that he might see what would become of the city. Now he's angry because he thinks God is going to be merciful and he wants God to kill him. And the Lord prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But in the as the morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun rose that God prepared a fervent east heat and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And then he wished death for himself. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. Now, here's the deal. Jonah is so self-focused. He's just concerned about his comfort, about his goals, about his affection, about what he wants to happen. And the Lord said, you've had pity on a plant for which you didn't labor nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And shouldn't I have pity on Nineveh, that great city in which more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right and their left hand and much livestock. He's concerned about his national interests. He's concerned about his comfort. You know, we can become like Jonah, where our concern is about our security, our comfort, about the, the, the things that affect us. But the Bible tells us, in fact, Jesus tells us, we need to be kingdom minded. We need to be not focused on the things that we can see. In fact, the Bible says, well, we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And we need to be sure that we're not just focused on the things around us. Jesus talked about this in Mark chapter four. He said, the cares of this world. He said, you can get your focus off the right thing because you focus on the cares of this world. How many of you know you need to pay some bills? There is things that, that we need to do, but that's not to be our focus, our main purpose. We're to be focused, first of all, on the kingdom. Then Jesus said the deceitfulness of riches. And by the way, the deceitfulness of riches does not just come to rich people. It comes to all people. And this is what the deceitfulness of riches says. It says to you, if you had more money, you'd be happy. If you had more, you'd be satisfied. If you had more, you wouldn't hurt. If you had more, people would respect you. If you had more, you wouldn't hurt inside. You'd feel fulfilled if you just had more. Listen, every one of those is a lie. But it's what the deceitfulness of riches comes and says to everybody. And when you make the accumulation of wealth and stuff, the purpose of your life, the focus of your life, 
you have succumbed to what Jesus said will cause the word of God to not produce in your life. And then he says the desire for other things. Uh, It can be a house. It can be a career. It can be a person. It can be a sport. When we let anything become the focus instead of the kingdom of God, instead of seeking first the kingdom, then Jesus said what's going to happen is it's going to choke the word of God. Now, now listen, I've asked this before. Maybe some of you can remember this. But how many of you know the most powerful thing in the world is the word of God and nothing can stop it? Not true. Jesus said the desire for other things. Jesus said that, that the deceitfulness of riches. Jesus mentions three things that will come in and choke the word of God where it will not produce fruit. Think about that. There's things that can choke God's word. But when we put the word first, the word it will take and, and it will move out of its way every one of these things. Now, the, the Bible consistently talks about the word of God as a seed. How many have ever seen, uh, I've seen this a number of times, but you have a sidewalk and there's a crack in that sidewalk and a seed gets inside that crack. And, and that seed begins to grow. And it's a little maple tree or something. And that little seed begins to move the sidewalk. And that's what the word of God will do when we focus on the word. But if we focus on something else, Jesus said it will cause the word to become of no effect. Now, Jesus is crossing the Sea of Galilee. And he's, he, in fact, if you ever go to Israel, this is one of the areas that we know for sure where this miracle took place. Because on the Sea of Galilee, there's just one area where there's cliffs and there's, there's, there's caves in those, in those cliffs. And that's where they would bury dead people. And as you read this story, you can tell this is where it took place. He comes to the area of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. He lived in these caves where they put dead bodies. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs. He's crying out. He's cutting himself with stones. And by the way, that cutting, it always... How many of you have heard about people cutting? Probably just about everybody. It's always demonic. That's where it comes back to. It's demonic. Cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and he worshiped him fell down at Jesus' feet, and he's worshiping Jesus. And Jesus says to the unclean spirit, come out. And uh, the spirit said, hey, there's a lot of us in here. And please let us go over in the pigs. There are 2,000 pigs that are feeding on the mountainside nearby. And Jesus gives them permission to go into the pigs. Now, how many of you know on on, on the Jewish scale of important, pigs are at the bottom? We all know that, all right? And those that the, the demons go into the pigs and the Bible says that these pigs, they immediately, they run off the cliff into the Sea of Galilee and they drown. Right? And, and by the way, this is the first mention of deviled hams anywhere. <laughs> so, you know, I thought you might want to know that. All right. That ultimately, the devil's goal for every person is destruction. That is his ultimate goal for every person. 
So, so the, 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 the men who were taking care of the pigs, they run into town and they tell everybody, look, this man, Jesus came and he sent the demons into the pigs and the pigs are all dead. And these pigs didn't just belong to one person. You know, it was a communal group that owned these pigs and they come out, right? And uh, they say to Jesus, they, they, when they find Jesus, this demon-possessed man is no longer demon-possessed. The Bible says he's clothed, he's seated, he's in his right mind, and he's listening to Jesus. And they begged him, the Bible says. They begged him, they pleaded with him to depart from their region. Their pigs were more important to them than Jesus. Their pigs were more important to them than seeing somebody whose life was turned around. We can have things in our life that are like those pigs, things that are more important to us than the kingdom of God, more important than having Jesus in our life, more important than seeing people set free by the gospel. When Jesus puts the gospel into a nutshell, Jesus takes the whole Bible and just puts it in a nutshell, right? In five verses, they came to him and they said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus said, love God, love people. Pretty simple, isn't it? Love God, love people. That really ought to be the mission statement of every person's life. Love God, love people. And Jesus said, if you love God and you love people, he said, you're fulfilling all of the law. It's, it's the gospel of Luke where he's asked the same question and he gives the answer. But then Jesus, when the man says, who's my neighbor? Jesus said, there's a certain man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell among thieves. And they beat him up and they left him half dead. And along comes a priest and he passes by. And along comes a Levite and he passes by. These are the religious people. But then he said, along comes a Samaritan somebody that the Jews were very prejudiced against. And he said he stopped and he got off his donkey and he went over and he poured oil and wine and he cleaned him up and put him on his donkey and took him to town and put him in a hotel and took care of him and gave the innkeeper money in the morning to take care of him for another two days. and said, anything more you spend, I'll take care of. And Jesus said, that's the one. That's the one who loves God and loves people. See, our life can become all wrapped up in ourselves. See, God gave us people to love and things to use. But if you look at the world today, people love things and they use people. They love things and use people. I think it's interesting when uh, Abraham goes out, the, the city of Sodom, a very, very wicked city, uh, the city is taken captive and Abraham goes out and saves the city. His nephew was living there and he brings his nephew back with all the people and all the stuff. And the, the wicked 
king of Sodom comes out. And this is what he said to Abraham. He says, you can keep all the stuff. Just let me have back my people. A wicked king understood that people, you love people. People are valuable. Stuff, stuff is for using. And stuff is going to pass away. The Bible says, well, we do not look at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. Because the things that we see are temporal. They're temporary. But the things that are not seen, they're eternal. You see, Jesus said it wouldn't profit a person if they gained the whole world and they lost their soul. Jesus said every person is worth more than the whole world. Because every person is going to live someplace forever. And everything that you and I see is temporary and is going to pass away. So we need to love God, love people, and use things. Don't use people and love things. In Ephesians 2, verse 10, For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do. I want everybody to shout, do. Online, shh, shh. write do. Write it, write it right down there. Right, write it. Because we think that Christianity is only what you believe. But Acts chapter 2, Paul preaches, and the church is born, and the people ask, what must we do? It, it's important what you believe. It's foundational. It's necessary. But if you say, I believe, but you don't do, you don't believe biblically. Because Bible believing is not mental assent where I say that's true. It's saying it's true, and then you do something with it. I, I, I've used this illustration before, but really true Bible faith is like a coin. Think of a quarter. On one side of the quarter, dead president. Other side, an eagle. Now, the Treasury Department says that if either side is marred, that is not legal tender. The president needs to be intact and the eagle needs to be intact. And that's what faith is like. Faith is believing, but it's also doing. If your doing is right, but your believing is wrong, it's not legal tender in the spirit world. And if your believing is right, but your doing is absent, it's not legal tender in the spirit realm. Right? We need to have both what we believe and what we do. That we may do, the Bible says, those good works which God predestined, then it kind of gives the definition, planned beforehand for us. I want you to catch that. It is for us. It is not to diminish your life. It is to add to your life. It's for us. It's when, when, when we are flowing in what God has created us to do, the good works, there is joy, there's peace, there's purpose, there's fulfillment. It's for us. Taking the paths he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the good life. The good life, I, I remember seeing a bumper sticker years ago that said, he that dies with the most toys wins. Anybody else see that one? Okay. Listen, the guy who dies with the most toys is dead. That's all. He's just dead. He did not win. Because Jesus said, your life does not consist in the abundance of the things you possess. 
And so often we're just thinking, well, I got to get this. I got to get that. It's the things that I possess. But the truth is your life consists of fulfilling the purpose that you were created for. And the Bible says there is not one of us that God has not created, prepared good works for us to do. Jesus said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life. Everything that we have, everything that we are is a gift from God to be used for his glory to make a difference for eternity. Everything that you are, everything that you have is a gift from God. And it's to be used for his glory to make a difference for eternity. Uh, we all know this. There is going to be a day when we come back, when, when Jesus comes back, and we're going to give an account. And, and I love what it says in Revelation. It says, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me. One translation says, in my paycheck. My paycheck. He's saying, like, I got some reward for you because you fulfilled the purpose that I have for you. Right? And so often we're looking at what we can't do. So he says, well, I can't give. I can't give $100,000. Well, I want to ask you, can you give 500? Talk about what you can do, not what you can't do. Somebody says, I can't speak to a large crowd. Yeah, but, but couldn't you tell me you can talk into a small group? Can you talk to a small group? Don't tell me, I can't, I can't uh, volunteer on Sunday morning. What you need to do is say, but I, I can volunteer on Wednesday night. Don't look at what you can't do. Look at what you can do. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, 15. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I will spend and be spent for your souls. The spend part is literally talking about finances. But when he says spent, he's talking about, I will give my talent. I will give my time. I will give my energy. He said, I will spend and I will be spent for your souls. He said, I know what is important and it's people that are important. And the most important thing that we could ever do for any person is bring them the gospel. Catherine Kuhlman uh, said this. He says, when you dig a man out of trouble, the hole which is left is the grave where you bury your sorrows. Go out each day and do something that nobody but a Christian would ever do. It won't be long before you forget all of your troubles. Job is attacked by the devil. Again, this is a, an entire book about this in the Old Testament. Most people have never read the book of Job. I think it's because they think it's the book of Job, but it's not. It's the, it's the book of Job. It's about this guy and the devil attacks him. And literally he loses everything. And the Bible says this in the 42nd chapter. It says, and God turned his captivity when he prayed for his friends. When he stopped focusing on himself, God began to bless. And in fact, the Bible says he was rich to start with, and God gave him twice as much as he had before. Isaiah said this, I have labored in vain, and I have spent my strength for nothing. I've labored in vain. I spent my strength for nothing and in vain. We don't want to live our life, take our energy and our focus, and someday say, you know what? 
All that I did, I spent my strength, I spent my life, I spent my energy for nothing eternal. Everything that I did is going to, literally, it's going to pass up, pass away. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 15, talk about Judgment Day for Christians. And it says, there will be Christians who on Judgment Day, it says, everything they've ever done will burn up and they will receive no reward. But they will be saved. They'll go to heaven, but there's going to be no reward. Heaven is not a government housing project, for goodness sake. Jesus went to prepare a mansion for you. He's going to prepare a place. And as you send the material, he builds. He's building. Prayer begets faith. Faith begets love. Love begets service, Mother Teresa said. And I would say this, that love begets sacrifice. Jesus tells one parable that, that, that I think is the hardest of all of his parables to understand. In, in fact, for years, I read this parable and I'd get done. I'd like scratch my head and Jesus like, I don't get it. Right? Let me read it to you. Jesus said in Luke 16, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. And an accusation was brought to him that the man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what's this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship. For you can no longer be steward. And the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I can't dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I resolved what to do. That when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said, take your bill quickly and write down 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said, take your bill and write down 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, this is Jesus' lesson. Jesus is not commending the theft. But this is what he, listen, what he commends. For I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon or money. That when you fail or when you die, they may receive you into everlasting homes or habitations. So Jesus commends the man because he said he took what he had, money, and he used it to make friends that would help him later and receive him later. And Jesus said in the same way, one of the purposes for money is that you sow it into the kingdom of God and it touches somebody's life. And that person, Jesus said, will be your friend for all of eternity. That's why I've said to you, the day will come when we get to heaven where you are going to chase me around heaven and say, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking offerings. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to sow into the kingdom of God. Because again, that offering, it leaves your hand, but not your life. Right? It goes into your future. Jesus said there's going to be an eternal reward. Uh, when Jeannie and I, we'd been married not even a year. We, we moved to Mexico. And, and uh, a few years later, we're in an Indian village. We're living there. And, and almost every place that I would go to preach, uh, you had to walk. There were no roads. There was no electricity. There was no running water. There were no bathrooms. And uh, Daryl Vandenhoek, my brother-in-law, and my sister Diane, they attend here, they're first service people. They bought a 
sound system, a generator, a movie projector, and a bunch of movies about Jesus and gave them to us. And we went and we used those and we won, and this is no exaggeration at all, we won thousands and thousands and thousands of people to Christ. Now, when they get to heaven, Jesus said, those people that they don't even know are going to welcome them. He says, you're going to have relationships with people whose money, whose your money has touched with the gospel. You see, in the kingdom of God, what your money does is accredited to your account. Philippians chapter four. Right? He said, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that will abound to your account. Somebody think, well, you're just after money. No, I'm after the fruit that will abound to your account. You're, 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 you're part of the, 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 this Resurrection Life Church, whether you're here, you're online. But you know, we get people saved every week. It goes on your account. Uh, we started over 30 churches. That goes on your account. We support missionaries all around the world. We've built orphanages and support orphans. Our television ministry, we have the potential to reach 3 billion people. 3 billion people at a time. You know, and the Lord put it on my heart years ago, we would pray one prayer on television and 10,000 people would get saved. Ephesians 4, verse 28. Let him that stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, what is good that he may have something to give. That he may have something to what? To give. We always first think about ourselves. But I want to tell you something. The Bible constantly is trying to focus us on first give. How many of you know what you give to God is not supposed to be the last? It's supposed to be the, the first. It's not the leftovers. It's the first. And wherever we put God first in our life, he blesses us in that place. Jim Elliott, who became a missionary and was martyred, in Ecuador, as he's graduating from high school, signing yearbooks, writes this. It's no, fo no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Forty-four and a half years ago, Jeannie and I are living in Mexico, young missionary couple. We're living in Guadalajara. We go down to the market downtown. Everything in, in the market, it's, it's all in booze, and, and you ask how much, and they say a price. But that's not really the price. You need to bargain for everything. I remember when we moved back to the United States, Jeannie had such a hard time going to the store and paying the price because she wanted to bargain everything. All right? So, so we're, we're, we're looking at a blanket, and, and, and we're, we're, we're dickering with the guy, and uh, we, we got down to like $15 for a blanket but I wanted to pay 13. But we've been talking to this guy going back and forth for five, ten, five minutes at least. And so your last tactic is you walk away and then you get the best price. So, so I'm talking in Spanish, but I said to, the, to Jeannie in English, I said, let's walk and we'll get this best price. So we start walking away and he's, parate, parate. He stop, 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 stop. He says, escucha me. He says, listen, he says, uh, my blanket will last longer than your money. Said, when your money's gone, my blanket will still be around. 
44 and a half years ago, this blanket, I paid $15. Because he had that line, I could not. Do you listen, listen? This morning, Jeannie had to pull this out of the back of her truck because she still uses it today. Do you know the blanket lasts longer than the $15? The 15 bucks could be gone in a trip at Starbucks. But the blanket is still there. Do you know what Jesus said? He said that when you sow into the kingdom of God, you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's real. It's real. You can take something that is temporary, but when you put it into the kingdom of God, suddenly, instantly, that thing becomes eternal. Uh, I just want to uh, close with one last, one last scripture. I see I went a little long. Proverbs chapter 3. And this is interesting. Do you know they tell us, and I've, I've never looked, don't have a clue. I don't believe it's true in this church. But they tell us that on average, 30% of people who attend a church will not give a dime. Never give. They're just there. They, they don't understand. I, I simply feel sorry. I, I say, come all of you. But I feel sorry for you. Because you're taking something that could literally affect your eternity. And you're missing out on so much. Proverbs 3.9. Because every time the Bible talks about your sowing, it talks about your reaping. Right? Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits of your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Every time the Bible talks about your sowing, it talks about your reaping. But I want to point something out here. He said, honor the Lord with your possessions and with all the fruits of your increase. 99% of the giving that's done in, in, a, in a typical church is off increase. We get a paycheck. We say, God, here's this portion. And I'm, I'm sowing it into your kingdom. I love you. I trust you. I worship you. That's right. But there's times, notice what it says, with your possessions. There's times when God says, hey, take something you've got and sell it. Take something you've got and give it. Right? We're not supposed to just do the increase. There's times where God says, hey, take that thing and sow that thing into the kingdom of God. And what are we doing? We're, we're honoring God. We're worshiping God. And, and he says, what's the result? He said, your barns will be filled and your vats will overflow. God is never trying to get something from you or from me. He's trying to get something to you and to me. And we need to recognize that. It leaves our hand, but not your life. It goes into your future. God blesses it. He brings it back in some form of a blessing. But there is an eternal reward waiting for you. What your money does, the life it touches, goes on your account. And Jesus said, those people are going to receive you into everlasting homes or habitations. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? First John says this. It says, we've written these things to you that you may know that you have everlasting life. See, we aren't supposed to die and find out if we make it to heaven. We're supposed to know 
that we're forgiven, that we're right with God, and we're on our way to heaven. And if you don't know that, you're not where you should be with God. And, and you, you need, you, you really need to surrender your life and receive him as your Lord and Savior. And if you're away from God, you need to come back. Jesus said, in my Father's house, there's many mansions. There is room, there is room, there's room for you. I'm going to ask everybody to take one hand, put it over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven, and we're going to pray together. Wherever you're at online, if you possibly can, put a hand over your heart and another one, lift it towards heaven and pray this out loud. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I gave him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you that I am forgiven. That I'm a part of your family. Today and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.